Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection. Me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in Paris, France at the Acre arena i don't know i, I got more guttural worse. with it now it's gotten that's gotten worse it is a guttural yes. sound a uh whatever the arena in france in paris headlined by a heavyweight bout still gone tied to ivasa we're talking about the prelims right now a headlined with a featured prelim bout between abu's Abu Supian Magomedov and Dustin Stoltzfus. Headliner. Yeah, I should have just said featured prelim, but it was, you know, whatever. No, I mean, some featured prelim, too. I'm yeah, like, no, no kidding. Mark, it's not on you. It's, it's, an, yeah. it's a critique of the matchmaking. Who cares about this fight? Yeah, no kidding. Um, two, two guys that it, it's very difficult to discern what their sort of style is. Slow. Slow is the style between both of them. Yeah, two two slow paced power strikers, so slow paced that their power often doesn't really seem to come to bear. Yeah, and I mean, even in Dustin Stoltzfus's case, like literally just the foot slowest fighter in the middleweight division. Yeah, somebody that Gerald Mearshart looked fast against. Yeah, and and Abusupian is more low output and putting himself in horrific positions every time he does let a strike go. Yeah. This guy he is... He uh, also seems like a lumbering yeah. fighter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's... Yeah, it's, I gotta be honest. Pretty tough to uh, to discern a strong advantage for one guy or the other here. I mean, yeah. I say that uh, Magomedov maybe has an edge in being a little just more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like he's actually going to take the fight to Stoltzfus, and fortunately for him, Stoltzfus doesn't really seem like the guy to um, punish the many, many, many mistakes that Magomedov makes when he's being aggressive. Even if he thought he could, he just doesn't have the speed. Yeah, like, he really got the perfect opponent last time out in um, true in Dwight Grant, yeah. who is slow, so cautious about his own offense. And so unsure about generating offense and stepping in that even Dustin Stoltz was being show being slow and showing him everything as he does it. Like Grant still couldn't get himself to get out of the way of anything. Right. Whereas at least um, Abu Supi and Magomedov is aggressive. Yeah. He's got he's got that. He seems like he has a natural confidence to what he's doing. Certainly. It's yeah. totally gone from Dwight Grant and. You know, everything everything that Dwight Grant faces seems like a surprise to him. Um, Reminds me of Luke Barnett a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Barnett, before he kind of got, like, cautious and tried to learn defense. And it's yeah. Like, wreaked havoc on how his game operated. Yep. Um, which is funny because I would love to see Magomedov also, like, learn some defense. And, God, I just hate the way. There's one fight of his where he flings himself at the opponent. And, like, the guy swings a counter, and he leans back and, like, stumbles backwards both feet because he's in such a bad position to get out of the way. 
but the other guy is like dying because he's been hit first. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then he just jumps back in and finishes him. Um, but yeah, I just don't. Stoltzfus is just not like fast enough on the trigger. Um, not proactive enough for me to not think that a guy who goes out there and is at least confident about trying to land the first shot doesn't um, get a good start. Also, it should be noted that Amosupian Magomedov seems like, if nothing else, he's a pretty good positional grappler. Yeah, yeah. If he can pull the fight into that area. And that's been something that Stoltzfus really struggles with as well. Just because... Yeah. I say he's just not fast, even on the mat, even in scrambles, where a lot of slow guys suddenly show a lot of speed. Right. He is just a step behind. Yeah, he's no he's no Pat Healy out there. No. So I think that is like Magomedov might be uh, slow standing, but he seems like he's he's got that extra gear on the mat to go to. Yeah, I agree. He's a pretty practiced grappler. Because, I mean, you know, he's got a ton of experience. Like, dude has been fighting forever. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that if he can if he can pull Stoltzfus to the mat, he can probably sub him out. He's, a, he's also just a pretty capable submission attacker. I think he's, mm-hmm. does, again, with the, the natural aggression, um, it gives him a nice opportunity to, like, he's also huge. I mean, that's he's the, huge. Yeah. He's 6'2", and he's not skinny. Um, that he can just kind of crowd over people, and he ends up getting a lot of, like, front headlock opportunities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He'll deck somebody, they try to shoot, whatever, and that's a big target. you got to be really confident and run right off his feet to get him down. Yep. And, yeah, once again, Stoltz was particularly difficult to say what he's actually good at. Yeah, he, he's a dude who, I mean, that's the thing with, with like, for both of these guys is that, you know, we talk about heavyweights and not being, like, you know, uh, not being a good heavyweight kind of thing or, you know, light heavyweight being its own sort of weird thing and all that. Nobody really fights at middleweight regionally at all. Hmm. It's They're just... All heavyweights who, like, don't bother cutting weight? Yeah, like, why... Why, you know, you consider how the game changes between welterweight and middleweight and how big even middleweights end up being. Oh, yeah. At the UFC level. And regionally, like, why would you fight there? You know, why would you, why if you're like 6'2 or 6'3, would you cut down to middleweight? So it ends up being this really awkward, weird division of I mean it is even at the UFC level it's a very misfit yeah. misfit division 195 has been the if they add any division that's been the one that's been floated since the days of Rich Franklin yeah and so you get guys like Stoltzfus and like Abu Sufyan Magomedov who like part of the reason they've had so much success in the past is just that like they're some of the only guys that are fighting at middleweight and have like yeah any kind of size and strength you know? Yeah. It's like when Chris Camozzi went on that inter-UFC career run. Yeah. They're the Chris Camozzi's of their regional areas. It's like, this is the only guy at middleweight who's kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. It really is. I'm, I remember, like, you know, scouting for middleweights back in, like, 2014. It's just like... Wow. There aren't any. 
Like yeah, I never the, really thought of that. That it's that it's kind of a no man's land uh, in regional MMA. Yeah, it's just a weird like nonsense division for regionals where if you're big and you're fighting at like a you know you're making five hundred bucks, like why wouldn't you just fight at heavyweight? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So. I mean, none of, the, none of the regional guys are particularly good at light heavyweight or heavyweight either. So why are you bothering? Cutting exactly. Exactly. Else? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a huge gap. Yeah. That makes sense. I never, I ne- never occurred to me. Uh, odds on the fight. Magomedov is the favorite opened or Ma- Magomedov. I always put the stress on the wrong syllable. Say Abu um, Supian. That's a, that's a fun name anyway. And it's pretty easy to say. Yeah. Abu Supian. Nice. Uh, opened at minus 220 and is currently down at minus 265. Stoltz opened at plus 185, is currently up at plus 212. Yeah, I got no problem with that. Yeah. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Faris Ziam, Michael Biglock. <laughs> Biglock is a, a awesome name. That is really just is. so much fun to say. Really at home on like a a Star Trek spaceship, you know, some uh-huh. alien race. The Figlacks have arrived. The Figlacks. <laughs> Good one. Um, yeah, this is an interesting fight. Uh, Ziam, I'm I'm glad the UFC brought him back. They cut him after his loss to Terrence McKinney, and then they put on they they then they realized they were going to France, and they were like, oh wait, we should probably not do that. Mm-hmm. And he's a functional, lengthy, you know, solid light. Their test down at the bottom of the lightweight division is somebody who can do some range kickboxing with feints. You know, yeah. it's not like it's not the most dangerous striking in the world. It's not the most high output striking in the world. He often has to fall back on a wrestling game if his opponent really starts pressing him. But it's functional and it's, you know, it's a solid test. And it should make for a solid test for Michael Figlock, who really has a boxing centric style that he wants to push. And he is got calves the size of like Francis and or thighs rather not calves he's got he's got thighs the size of Francis and Ganus somehow mm-hmm. on this little frame it's like he'd probably be like bantam weight if it weren't for his thighs alone yeah he's got those Ben Henderson legs he does and um. It's tough to see. It's tough to see where he's using that athleticism, really, because mm. like he's not a bad boxer. He picks different targets. He's got he throws combinations. He's tough. He doesn't really sit down on anything though, so it's rare that he'll hit anybody really hard and uh, with any power, even when he's hit landing clean. And then as a wrestler and grappler, like he, he'll clinch a lot, um, but he doesn't really have an aggressive game there. And it doesn't really, it can lead to some takedowns, but it's not, none of it's uh, really that well thought out in terms of his scrambling or wrestling game. Yeah. It, everything is really based around the idea that he's always going to be happy to be back at his feet in the pocket punching. 
I mean, with good reason too. I mean, yeah. I think if we get some some mid range boxing exchanges, they're going to be very fun. Yeah. Like, uh, but it is always a question for me with a uh, with like an aggressive um, boxing centric game. How do you deal with somebody who is a quality boxer who's much longer than you? Yeah. And I haven't looked at what the actual numbers are, but just on assumptions. Let's see. The um, 6'1", 75-inch wingspan. And Very big for 155. Big lock. Uh, actually, I could look at we, we could look up his reach, but we'd have to uh, go find his Cage Warriors bouts and the tail of the tape card, which... Yeah, and even the ones half the ones on YouTube don't uh, actually have the tail of the tape show up. Yeah, but it's not long. It's not long. Like, it's he's, not that he's clearly got broad shoulders but short arms. Yeah. Um. So it it's a serious question. Like, how do you deal with it's it's a horrible feeling when you know you need to get into the pocket and that's where you're good. Mm-hmm. Pressuring is really the basis of your game. And it's a really horrible feeling to have a guy who's just looming over you and just poking you and stabbing you and you when you're literally out of reach to to do anything about it. Yeah. I, I think honestly I'm gonna have to take Zeon here. Yeah. I would like to take I I wanna see Figlock win this fight. I wanna see him show a really solid um nuance. Yeah, you know, I wanna see him go out there, punch the body, get in Zeon's face, yeah, exactly, yeah. force exchanges and and box him up. Um, I think there's a real chance, like there's a real chance for him to have the Drew Dober progression. Sure. Where Dober came in as this super bricked up dude, but was actually a pretty light fisted volume striker mm-hmm. when he hit the UFC. And it took several years of progression and work to get his punching game to the point where he would sit in the pocket and put his, his musculature and his physicality to work and be a big power, be the big power threat he is now. I'd love to see that for Figlock, but without that, I just, and without a real go-to wrestling and grappling game where he could easily take Siam off of his own, uh, out of his own preferred ranges and preferred style, I just think he's got to, you know, you're going to have to contend with a longer, taller striker at range for three rounds. Yeah. So, granted, I mean, Figlock makes the right decisions. If he does get yeah. in his pocket, if he's well prepared or just figures it out on the fly, like most people with a frame like the Ums, he is himself not super comfortable in that range. Uh-uh. It's, you know, it's, it's why he often has to turn to wrestling. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if he can't wrestle Michael Figlock, he'll have to deal with striking with him a bunch. It's just that Figlock hasn't showed any power. That's yeah. that's the thing. I, I think you're right. Like it might be there. Yeah. Um, and just slightly better shot selection, a little trickier, not just one, two, three kind of stuff. He's he just, he's very bouncy. And, you that's know, true. it's one of those things where it's like, that's not bad. It's good to be a little elusive and stuff at times, but you also have to pick times to really sit down in front of somebody. Yeah. You know, there's it a reason manage i mean i can't you yeah. can't see him doing it in some fights and it's just tough to find those moments because as soon as you sit down if the setup hasn't put your opponent out of position um or if you haven't fully cornered them or you choose you just like put your strikes together in the wrong order they just slip out yeah because once you plant your feet you're you cease cutting off the cage and yes yeah. um that's a that's an opportunity to just circle 
Mm-hmm. I've seen that like in his fight with um, uh, Steve McIntosh, like that happened a lot. He, he was largely successfully pressuring him and boxing him, but there were plenty of moments where he would be like, okay, the guy's cornered. I've had his back to the fence for a minute straight. Now let's throw a big combination. And um, a couple times it worked a couple other times. That was exactly when McIntosh got back to open space. Yeah. Um, or hit a takedown on him or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's having to deal with the, the sort of branching possibilities of it makes it difficult to know when to plant your feet. I think. It's very true. It's it, it, it's a it's a learned skill over time in MMA because a lot of dudes who do plant their feet in brawl lose a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it doesn't look like he has it yet. Um, yeah. hasn't figured it out yet. I would also like to see Ziam win though, and so I'm happy to pick him. I like Ziam's fighting style. Um, I think you know he's tricky. He's like like a, a lot of rangy guys. I feel like they they seem like frail, but Ziam is like pretty hardy and gutsy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he, he will fight really, really hard while also clearly preferring this like safer, more measured outside fighting style, but he's pretty active from that position. And, uh, yeah, my base assumption is that as a young fighter, this is one of those things that I need to see you prove that you can actually like be comfortable and set things up and put yourself in a good position early enough to win against a guy who is just going to be stinging you from really far away. Yep. So I will take Ziam as well. And I, again, I'm happy to see him back. Let's see. Odds on the bout. Ziam is the underdog here. Opened at minus 110. Jumped up to plus 170. He's currently plus 165. Figlock opened at minus 110. Dropped to minus 200. And um, yeah, it's wide. It's just wide. Um, Figlock, you know, he's had a nice run in Cage Warriors. And he's, you know, he's durable. He's well put together. He's got a consistent style. Just it's also like, you know, he's been, he hasn't been finishing anybody at that level either. Or he he did early on when it's very raw. But the moment he took a step up, it's just been decisions. And I am tentative about it, especially like just boxing in MMA is um often at the ufc level it's gotten a lot easier to read you know it's it becomes a very even even though he picks his spots well he he punches the body i love seeing that i got high hopes for him but when you limit your game so heavily it can be really hard to pick up wins to the level of that that defensive striking has actually grown to yeah that people are, if you just bring a pretty predictable set of patterns, that most people actually do have the ability to see them and often punish them effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's, it's never to me a question of the typical MMA response is, oh, you need to do more stuff. Um, you need to be like more, more kicks, more takedowns, like it's, you need more variety. And I think really it's more about finding the variety you can be perfectly uh, effective finding ways to vary the three or four things you really like to do. Yeah. Because timing, you need to faint, you need to, it helps to have other things. But it, it helps to at least attack all levels. For sure. For sure. But, but you know, you can overwhelm yeah. someone boxing. There's a million targets you can sure. attack your boxing and a million different ways you can break up your timing and set things up and use your defense to close distance or close distance with a feint or interrupt somebody's combo and then counter. Like there's so yeah. much variety contained in 
um, these, this basic system. And but it takes a long time to get there. And yeah, I mean, the funny, the, the funny, ironic thing is that a lot of the highest level MMA fights these days are have become more and more just boxing centric. Yeah. yeah. Look at Volkanovski. There's a guy out there doing three things per fight, but he does those three things brilliantly in ways that no one can keep up with. Yeah, you know Max Holloway and uh, Peter Yan a lot, and uh, Jose Aldo these days. Yep. You know, a lot of really high level guys. They do come back around to that point, but all the way up through there, up, you know, up to getting to that level of skill you tend to have to have a low kicking game and a, you know, and something like tools for every range that you can go to. Yeah. And the guys who just box put themselves in position to have really, even if they're very good boxers, they put themselves in position to have very close, difficult fights with opponents that they should be able to beat. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I, I have, I have a lot of hopes for, Big lock. I like I like the base of his game. It's a good fight. I don't know why uh, this or the next one isn't the feature prelim. Yeah, no kidding. Especially because Nasruddin Imovov, Joaquin Buckley that we're about we're talking about now because it's next. We're we're doing it. That is clearly the highlight fight of the prelims. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Like Imovov has been a ranked middleweight. He, I think he's still a ranked middleweight at this point. Yeah. Ranked middleweight versus um, consistently fun action fighter. One of the UFC's most fun action fighters. Yeah, for sure. Who holds the UFC's most, no qualifiers, most spectacular highlight. I mean, this is yeah. featured prelim city, if if not more. Yeah, but Magomed Stoltzfus, that's where the action is. That's the money fight <laughs> the fans have been waiting for. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Maybe they think, they look at that one and they're like, this is another Yasmin versus Yasmin. This is uh, clearly these guys are going to break through. Yeah, I don't know. Imovov Buckley though. Stop yeah, about it. Good fight. I mean, I think Good this fight. is guaranteed to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Joaquin Buckley has a fun fight with everyone. Uh, at least fifty percent of the reason for which is like his own mistakes. Mm-hmm. He's he, it, very few fighters in the modern era are as so clearly tracked in on going straight forward and straight back uh-huh. as Joaquin Buckley. Yeah. Like the man moves like a train switching station, you know, like those big circular things with all the tracks on them where the train drives and then you turn it and the train goes out another direction. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's like Joaquin Buckley's cage craft. <laughs> There's that. That's a problem. The other thing that we've talked about many times is the extreme predictability of Joaquin Buckley's rhythm. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing is Joaquin Buckley is fast. Like, oh, yeah. He's quick. He's powerful. Um, he, this is somebody who is creative about picking all targets. Like, you oh, have yeah. to... Absolutely. You, you, you can see him coming in on a collision course for to you, and you have to pick what part of your body to defend. Yeah. You know, he's going to make you make that choice. Yeah. He's going to work the body. He's going to kick the legs. He's going to kick you in the head. He's going to set things up with this jab. There's so much to like and the physicality mm-hmm. um, about Buckley's game. 
and yeah, I think they're, they are just like, they're, they are just the sort of finer points of craft in many directions that he's lacking. Mm-hmm. He's so competent. And yet there, there is a lack of subtlety at every level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the footwork that you mentioned straight in, straight out, that's a problem. Um, the predictable timing of his combinations, that's a problem, even though he's mixing up his targets and everything. Um, the predictability of his defense yep. is a problem. We've seen him get kicked in the noggin multiple times. I mean, he almost got um, knocked out with the same shot that he that uh, DiCarico got him with in, in his last fight and yeah. I think the one before. He gets kicked in the head every fight. Yeah, like he is just one of the most timeable predictable fighters out there who is so hell so incredibly dangerous that like that is still an incredibly risky proposition to try to pick him off and super tough i mean yeah. i know he's been one shot ko'd but he's like i just said he's eaten way more head kicks than he's been than than have dropped him yeah um so yeah again he he's a beast but he is he is a beast with serious limitations and I think Imovov might be capable of taking specific advantage of those limitations. Yeah, Imovov, he actually, you know, he kind of reminds me of Boris Ziam in some basic uh-huh. form ways, like a low output, rangy, faint, heavy striker who can push the clinch and will doesn't like to be in close trading and will default to a wrestling game if that happens. Yeah. Um, a lot of the same thing, but the big thing with, with Imavov more so than Ziam is that Imavov is an incredible opportunist. Yes. And he creates his opportunities as well. Yeah. That, yeah. That's kind of it's something I noticed. And maybe I was thinking about this because it stood out to me in that, um, Demetrius Johnson fight last weekend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that this was a fight that felt very aggressive and very high output, even though. Most of Demetrius's attacks, if you look at just the strikes that are actually let go, are one and done. Yeah. Um, and this is because there is a lot of feints, there's a lot of throwaways, there's a lot of aggressive footwork. Mm-hmm. Bob is one of these guys who sort of fakes volume. Yep. Because he also will land single strikes. Um, but there yeah, are- when he was coming up, I was really unimpressed. Like, I remember him getting to the UFC, I was like, this guy just doesn't really do anything. Like, right. I don't, you know, he's big and he's a middleweight. I get it. But if it were going to depend on his wrestling game, I don't see it. Yeah. And, and you kind of look at the, the surface level of like the strikes he's landing, the strikes he's throwing. You're like, this yeah. is not what defines a high level UFC fighter. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, again, like there's a lot of volume without volume, really. Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of feints. Um, Imovov is excellent. I would love to see him use. He's a big guy. I'd love to see him actually use his jab like a jab, mm-hmm. like a weapon. But he can be really effective using it as a setup purely, where he will just poke you in any reaction, aggressive reaction, defensive reaction. Okay, I know what that is now. The next time I poke you with my lead hand, it's going to be a setup, and it's going to be an uppercut. It's going to be a left hook. It might be a body shot. It might be a clinch entry off of that. Um, there are a lot of different ways he can go with single strikes that – work and land cleanly because you still feel overwhelmed even though it's not overwhelming you with strikes yeah um so yeah he's he's really opportunistic 
um, but in a, in a way more proactive way, I think, than it appears at first. And I think that could be a real problem for Buckley. Yeah. Because think. you you can you touch Buckley, he's going to do a defensive move, and you only have to do that twice before you've seen all of his defensive moves. Mm-hmm. And the timing doesn't change. And Imovov, I think, when he gets a predictable pattern out of his opponent, is super accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I yeah, I think he's probably going to hurt Buckley with strikes. Could be a club and sub. It very well could be. Um, but I think it, he's at the very least going to get one or two big moments that steal rounds, even if all else is going against him. And I don't expect it will be. Yeah. I think he's going to be very competitive otherwise. Agreed. Yeah. It's just, it, it, this feels more like uh, the Kevin Holland matchup for Buckley. Yeah, exactly. Where Holland could just see it. He could see it all coming. He could see the predictability. He could see the patterns. And he really had no trouble commanding Buckley around the cage and setting him up for a knockout. Yeah. And I think I would, again, I'd love to see him evolve, do a little more of what Kevin did in that fight. I mean, mm-hmm. Frank, I'd love to see Kevin do more of what Kevin did in that fight. Sure. Um, but with a different approach, he can take advantage, I think, of the same dynamic. Yeah. Odds on the bout. Buckley is the underdog here, opened at plus 155. It's coming up at plus 212. Imavov opened at minus 180, dropped to minus 232. It's currently down at minus 266. That brings us to a welterweight, or no, a lightweight bout. I forgot Benoit Saint-Denis dropped. Mm. Benoit Saint-Denis, Gabriel Miranda. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'm glad UFC brought a guy like Gabriel Miranda in. He's got lots of uh, experience. He has an aggressive grappling game. And, you know, you kind of, you know, you need every flavor to get a stew going here. You know, like. You're being very charitable. I am. <laughs> and my grand most, point most is. that others. <laughs> yeah. My my grand point here is that Gabriel Miranda is probably going to get shit kicked. Yeah. And it does not seem like he's set up well to compete at this level. Yeah. And uh, like I say, I'm still glad to see these. You know, I, I want to see guys like him get shots. Like you, you need to have a fun variety. MMA is all about variety. We should be having... The, the sport should play host to a huge variety of styles, right? Yeah. And there were years in the past. Hey, isn't it? It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. the core of MMA. Bring all the different weirdos in and see yeah. the best. And in, in the UFC, one of the criticisms of the UFC in the past was like, you know, it, this is the land of like white wrestle boxers. Yeah. You know, this is, this is your Pat Healy central lunch pail overhand right to double leg takedown <laughs> where the art and the variety of MMA goes to, to have the life sucked out of it. <laughs> and I, that was always overblown when it, it's certainly not the case now when the, the, the promotion has 600 odd fighters at any one time. Um, but part of, part of keeping that lively and making it fun is going out and getting a guy like, Gabriel Miranda, who all he wants to do is run at you, grab a body lock, hit a trip takedown, 
and an aggressively submission hunt. Mm-hmm. And he's a good grappler, very good positional grappler. So if he catches Benoit Saint-Denis off balance and makes something happen, there's a real chance that he could sub get the submission. But Saint-Denis is pretty huge and strong for a lightweight. Uh, he's got a serious Vince Bichel vibe to him. Yeah, for sure. And it just seems like if he if he can stuff a body lock trip at all, which I assume he can, he's just going to start beating Gabriel Miranda up on the feet. Yeah, Miranda does not seem very physically overwhelming. No. And I've really only seen his striking look effective when his opponent is, like, done. Yeah. He can be aggressive. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I like to see that, that when he, he's not, like... Uh, he doesn't go out there against like a wounded a wounded quarry and just think, okay, I have to go back to the thing I was doing. He will no. take chances and uh, make a fight of it, but yeah, uh, yeah, it only works when the guy is dead already. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, he doesn't have seem to have a lot to offer technically or physically on the feet. Yeah, I do think Benoit Santini is just strong enough to not get out grappled by him. Yep. So yeah. Odds on the bout. Uh, St. Denis is a healthy favorite. At, opened at minus 188. is currently down at minus 281. Miranda opened at plus 150. is currently up at plus 224. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Khalid Taha, Christian Quinones, and... Um, this will be a scrap. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. I'm, I don't actually have a clear idea of uh, of who wins this. I, I like I like Quinones's game. Yeah, he's got a very scrappy, um, in and out, you know, aggressive kickboxing style. Yeah, it's super weird. Yeah, it's all. Obviously... It makes a lot of sense when you find out that he's the little brother of uh, Jose Quinones. Oh, okay. The other bantamweight who had that funky high high volume kicking game. Yeah, I kind of like his game more because like yeah, it's not nearly as awkward as his brothers. And it's yeah, he's just more confident in the yeah. pocket, and he will sling some bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sort of reminds me actually more of like um, like what if like he reminds me of the best version of Irena Aldana. Mm-hmm. he's got this sort of awkward jumpy rhythm thing um so like he's like he's out there like deliberately replicating good boxing mm-hmm. trying to stay circling staying on his bike using his jab and then like aldana you know you he's kind of awkward doing it you get in you get an exchange and he's going to plant his feet and throw yeah but he's like harder hitting and meaner mm-hmm. than aldana typically is and Responds very well to getting hit clean himself, which happens a lot. Yep. But he's down to scrap. Absolutely. He has had several, not, uh, he has several losses, two of which are by KOTKO. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the dude is absolutely there to get in a war with people. And he's got a style that is pretty well built to force that. You know, yeah. he's and it big and scared him off that he's been yeah. with strikes. He goes in there like it's not possible. Yeah, he's got a long reach, 
for the division. He's got a 70-inch reach. I was going to say, how big is he? 5'7 doesn't seem tall, but that must, no. must be very big for for 135. He looks big. Yeah, I mean... fights. So then the question becomes, you know, if, if Kanonez is somebody who can scrap and can lose a scrap, the question becomes all about Khalid Taha. Yeah. Who is a really fun pocket puncher and every other part of his game seems to fall apart. Yeah, he has good things in every other part of his game, but there's there's nothing consistent about any of it. The only thing yeah. is the pocket punching. Um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of half thinking, like, what happens if Khalid Taha does that thing he occasionally does where he gets into an exchange and then just suddenly hits a shot? Yeah. Um, I don't know that that'll dramatically change the complexion of the fight, but it seems like the opportunity is going to be there. Quinones is so bouncy and like square half the time. He won't, he won't stay on top of Quinones. He won't. He definitely will not. It's just not in Taha's interest. He doesn't want to. Yeah. He's going to, he's always trying to force his one game that he does in the pocket punching game. And that could be enough to knock Quinones out. If he can just get in his face enough and force that trade. Yeah. Quinones is finishable and he's not as like he's not as fast or instantly dangerous as a guy like Morozov. Yeah. Or Barcelos. He doesn't have the wrestling that either of them have. He doesn't have the wrestling and he's not as consistent, nor does he have the wrestling of a guy like Nadna Armani. Yeah. Um, he's just much messier. He's gonna have some fifty fifty exchanges and yeah, the thing is he's so fearless about it. Like again, he lands really good shots in those exchanges, but it's a mess and he gets hit super hard. Yeah, I'm going to take Canones still. I think the variety, there's just not any variety to Taha's game. That yeah. It's just so easy to lock him into a fight where he can't be effective. It's true. And I don't know that Canones will do that, but I, I have to see Taha find more ways to win than knocking out the chinniest guy to get a UFC contract in the last half decade. Who's that? Boston Salmon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of ways to uh, to take Taha out of his fight, but does Kenyonas have them? Uh, yeah. this, is, this is a question for me. Like, Yeah, he's, he's gonna, he might let Taha just sit in front of him and punch. He's not going to out-wrestle Taha. He's going to, huh. like, the only way he wins is did, all the movement and everything. That's why I compared him to Aldana. All of this movement and, like, imitating good boxing. Mm-hmm. The thing he needs to do to win is to step in and, and swing hooks at people. Um, I mean, he could just kick his leg apart, too. He could. That's true. That's like, something. There, like I said, there are a lot of ways to take Taha out of his game. He's very limited. Um, I just don't... I'm not sure I see Quinones actually, like, taking that kind of tactic and just riding it to a decision, though. I just don't know if that's the kind of fighter he is. Yeah, um, I might just take Taha for fun because I, I just That's know Kionis is going to trade with him, and Taha's super powerful. He's, uh, I think, because of there's only one thing he can do. It's easy to look at his fights and be like, "Oh, this guy's he doesn't have what it takes." But if you're willing to have his fight with him, you have to remember that he's 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 very effective at it. I really would like to see Taha win. I, you know me, I love pocket punchers. I I have been wanting to see Taha like find a new stage in his game for a while now. Yeah, yeah. I've just kind of also given up. I just 
I just you know, think the fact I that think he snakes has, it. That, yeah, but that Quinones, he's gonna exchange in a pocket, and he's been knocked out three times. And it's awesome that he fights as if that's not a factor, but it also means it's gonna happen again. Yeah, it's for sure gonna happen again. Um, I think Taha can do it, so uh, it's gonna be a fun fight. I, I think it's a, a really good sort of style matchup. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm I'm banking against Taha here, just going with the the younger, still confident fighter who can bring a, a, a more variety to the fight. Sure, but. I'd love to see Taha win. I'd love to see him turn his career into something more fun. Yeah. You know, he's fighting once every like two years to a different kind of loss. It's just not that thrilling. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to really change at this point, but no, um, I just think this is a matchup that has some, some, some elements that actually work with the thing sure. he likes to do. Taha is the favorite here opened at minus minus one fifty, currently up at minus minus one twenty five. Canone has opened at plus 130. It's currently at plus 102. So those, those odds getting closer all the time. Okay. All right. That brings us to a woman's featherweight bout. Stephanie Ager. Eilin or Aylin? Um, I would guess Eilin because she's from... Yeah. Or I, It's probably Eileen. Eileen, yeah. Eileen Perez. Let's go with Eileen. Eileen, yeah. She's from Eileen. Argentina. So I'm guessing it's the... I don't think they yeah. have the A sound. Yeah. Stephanie, Stephanie Ager, Eileen Perez... And um, this is <sighs> Stephanie Yeager should win this fight. Yeah. And if she doesn't, it will just be a testament to how also incredibly one-dimensional and tracked in her game is. Because, you know, Eger, she's got some really good, strong clinch, clinch throws and clinch takedowns. And she can hit an arm bar from like five different setups. And Eileen Perez is small for the division Mm -hmm. and is used to bullying and used to just going in and clinching up with somebody and wrenching them to the mat, picking them up and just dropping them on the, you know, on their back. Yeah. You know, she's, she is a, flyweight she, she is a thickly built flyweight used to fighting atom weights essentially and say that again brother I'm not gonna say that again <laughs> all right and but at the same time like for Edgar, it really is just arm bars yeah like if the arm bar setups don't work then her striking is miserable. And one hand. Yeah. And there's not like, I mean, there might be enough ground and pound and control in there to just like grind out a win on Perez, but it would be an exceptionally ugly fight. Yeah. And if Perez can just go in and take Egger down, then she'll probably put herself right into an arm bar. But it would also then, you know, if if she doesn't, then there's not a lot of Eggers going to do off of her back otherwise. No. So. Not actually her area of expertise at all. She's much no. better as a top position grappler. Yeah. Judoka. I mean, there's no surprise. Yeah. So I'm going to take Eggers by armbar, but 
you know, it really is on her to prove that she can force that to happen. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think e- Egger is fundamentally a bully. Mm-hmm. Most comfortable when she can bully someone. And um, I mean, there are smaller women. I mean, most everyone she fights is smaller than her. Mm-hmm. And there are smaller women who have beaten her. I think um, the most notable um, that I remember from the time I scouted her was um, Alexa Connors. Uh, yes, it was Alexa Connors. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, who, who was just like mobile and could just, you can hit her with whatever. The other thing you see in those fights, though, is that um, Egger is really aggressive and she will just keep pressing forward even if she can't outgrapple somebody. I think this is a one of those fights where she might just be able to kind of hideously outstrike Perez if she has to. Um, cause she'll just march forward and just like reach out flailing with her left hand. So she can try to wang you with the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that can be effective if you're like little and you're not comfortable dealing with pressure, you can still land those shots. Uh, yeah. Got to definitely create clinches and that will create opportunities for, uh, the takedowns. Um, what I would really like to see out of Egger is anything consistent. I think she has been trying to like get better at MMA. The problem is, is like her game doesn't typically actually feed into the things she's already good at. Yeah. She doesn't have a game that's really oriented towards creating clinches. But, and I don't think Perez actually has like the footwork or the striking skill to not just get run into. Well, and Perez, her whole game is to run into people and grab them. That too. I mean, you know, even if she, yeah, she ends up backing off, she's already completely out of her element. And also it's worth noting there are some signs that uh, Perez might be in her own head to the point of that that there is no possibility for strategic thinking in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like uh, her, one of her, her only loss of her career, that DQ to Tamiras Vidal. Mm-hmm. In like the first round, she need her in the groin, like two or three times straight. Why is it funnier when women do it? (laughs) And then late in the fight, and she's like protesting that she didn't even do it. And then late in the fight, she's holding her down against the cage and then just starts kneeing her in the head. And then the ref like steps in and waves the fight off for illegal strikes. And she's just starts like screaming at everyone. Really? Yeah gotta watch this and <laughs> she like loses her shit yeah <laughs> and so that you know this might not be a person who is capable of at, the, at least at the moment of checking themselves yeah it doesn't seem like it so that's a better that that to me is an even better reason to pick egger here yeah that, just like egger being big honestly in and of yeah. itself is gonna be enough yeah so it can be yeah. very frustrating to deal with, basically, because of that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Perez is the underdog. Opened at plus 125. Jumped up to plus 285. Is currently down at plus 225. Egger opened at minus 145. Dropped down to minus 350. And is currently at minus 287. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at TheZaneTime. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. 
Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Podio Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we will be back in one week's time for UFC 279, Chimaev versus Diaz. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.